Okay, Stefan's in. Yeah, audio's going. We're good. Beautiful. Congrats. Mine's going to be like a little delayed, so I don't know. Do we all want to like clap or something? Uh, hey, hey, Stefan, what's your favorite movie? Okay, well, you were supposed to answer a little bit quicker than that at like a normal human oh, pace. Oh, okay. I, I didn't understand. I thought it was like a trick question or something. Uh, before we get into this really deep, uh, I'd like to introduce a friend of ours, uh, to a friend of ours, Miles and Jimmy, I don't think you guys have ever formally met or spoken to each other. Well, I don't think so. I actually, we met briefly at Mariah's graduation party at her house. I take it back. Yeah. But it was like three years ago. That was a long time Yeah. You didn't have a beard then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No. Well, guys, if you couldn't tell, we've added another member to the Takes It Took podcast family here jimmy why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself hello folks i'm jimmy i've known ryan stefan longer of course i know of miles but uh it's good to meet you again but yeah i am no y'all from sou and i was tickled pink when y'all wanted to have me on the podcast since i've been a longtime listener since y'all started yeah, I'm actually long time listener, first time caller. Yes, basically, first time recorder too. I'm just a bit that Stefan does. I'm not actually a real person. You're just, no, just I, really good at hey, doing no it. Guys don't realize behind the man behind the audition screen. I do. I do two voices, and also whenever we record remotely like this, I pre-record footage of this actor that I pay off Craigslist. I thought it was yeah. AI generated. Uh, it, we're getting there. It'll be easier for me then. Then I can cheaper to fire that stinky actor and not have to deal with him anymore. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> might as well like save money on talent. I mean, like, mm, we're going that direction anyway. I mean, like, especially mm. let's just undo all the SAG work that they've done with the strike. Yeah, and the writers too. I'm just, I'm just AI generating all everything I say yeah, you, now. Yeah, ChatGPT um, can do everything. No problem. Yeah. So, I say, you know, the less money I have to pay people, the better. <laughs> Wait, we were getting paid. God, I hate workers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too all, all right, right. Okay, well guys if you couldn't tell which maybe you can't this is a movie podcast we talk about movies on this podcast called the takes a tuck a movie podcast um and jimmy is here to uh guest lead a episode for today because i was too busy with my thesis and i finished filming my thesis and i now have a short film that is currently being edited together as we speak oh, but so excited. i have not had much time at all in the past month so jimmy graciously stepped in and he's gonna um talk at us today about what's the movie catch me if you can is the name of the film that i've selected to preview oh. to you all we have dueling walk-ins <laughs> Yeah, it's just yeah, it's all, crazy. It's a walk-in cameo. <laughs> oh my goodness, we can dual banjos, dual walk-ins. <laughs> a walk-in off. Talk. Come on, come on, Miles. I don't. I feel nervous now that I have to do it to show that I'm Say, good at it. Hold on, Dude, I have a, I have a script over, for you. Say, okay. my son, I fell and broke my neck. <laughs> my son. I've fallen and broken my neck. <laughs> it go. hurts so much. We're, get, we're getting morbid with some later scenes of morbidness. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. This is amazing. Yes. All I, right. Guys, before we get into today's episode, we like mm. to talk about other films that we've seen mm. recently that are not related to the episode. All right. Well, Stefan and I recently watched Michael Mann's Thief with James Kahn. 
Um, and I gotta say, very early on, you can definitely see his style. <laughs> you can mm-hmm. see that he likes to have two characters sitting in a booth at a diner or a restaurant chatting forever. And mm-hmm. I love it. And I think uh, James Caan's great. And uh, I really enjoyed the movie. I love good heist. I love a good con. So this was right James. up my alley. Con? Con, <laughs> con, con should have been and, Catch uh, Me If You Can, but could have Catch Me If You Con. <laughs> oh. Yeah. oh, He fits right in. Mm-hmm. He fits right in. He was also uh, an elf, which we watched in a hotel. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. So um, that is what I have seen with my eyeballs. Um, Miles, what about you? Hello. Hi. I This is going to be a, uh, a real surprise to everyone and then not a surprise at all. I watched a documentary. Oh. Um, and you might be like, oh, my God, Miles watching a documentary and not like a fucking Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff. Whoa. It was an Internet Historian video, which if you don't know who Internet Historian is, he's a YouTuber. But he made a, a like hour 14 video called uh, I think it's called Hole. It is indeed called. Well, it's Man in Cave re-uploaded, mm. not original. So, but yeah, it is called Hole. But basically, it's about this guy who, like, wanted to create a caving uh, attraction on a cave that he had in his land, and he gets stuck inside the cave. And it's, like, how people are trying to get him out, and he's stuck in there for, like, you know, 10 days just like slowly dying uh so don't go caving kids because it's no that sounds nightmare fuel all right uh jimmy moving on from that light topic what have you seen recently well it was less stressful than what miles said but i saw napoleon in theaters oh, uh, besides yeah. the movie they we're talking about i saw napoleon uh a lot to unpack in that movie. I mean, like every Ridley Scott movie, it's long, it looks great, it drags on as well for the amount of length of time that it does. And of course, there's a secret cut that's probably like four and a half hours that we might see a later day. Yeah. But overall, I liked it a lot. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is good. He's the only American English-speaking actor that isn't British or French in the entire cast, which is kind of a fun little huh. standout. But like, it's impressive. I definitely was not expecting the tonal shifts that it went in where like Mm. it would almost become like a weird dark comedy just because at the end of the day napoleon had a lot of weird issues where was all of his like conquests and like wars started just to basically show his wife that i'm a man you shouldn't cheat on me with other guys like i'm a good husband so basically it Hmm. kind of shows how he's kind of a weird petty a uh, guy with way too much power. A fragile uh, which man. Which was kind of basic. Yep, 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 yep. Here, and uh, actually... Yep. Oh, I was just say, here are my two fun facts I know about Napoleon. One, uh-huh. uh, he would send a letter to his, his wife going, hey, I'm going to be back in a week. Don't wash. Because he liked them stinky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and secondly, when Ridley Scott was told by a historian that this isn't historically accurate, he said... You weren't there, bucko. How do you know? <laughs> so could come back for everything. Everything's historically accurate if you weren't there. Correct. Yeah, if Ridley Scott made it, it is so. Mm-hmm. But overall, recommend it. Recommend it. But like, okay. uh, it's it, every November is kind of like that annual. We get that nice long Ridley Scott drama that looks great, slow as heck. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. 
But I recommend it. Recommend the big screen. Like that, it, the production's amazing. The war scenes are amazing. Acting's pretty good. But like, yeah, recommend it. All right, Stefan, okay. over to you, buddy. What have you seen? <sighs> All right. You know, I watched a lot of movies that I would love to be able to talk about, like Free Birds or The Master of Disguise mm. or... Mm. Masterpieces. Um, you, you know, one that I watched and I forgot about and now looking at my letterbox list, I, I watched Fast Times at Ridgemont High for the first time with Mariah. Ooh. I, I didn't care for that movie. I don't understand why so many, like, because it, it's like, oh, it's a cult film. Like, everyone knows, like, I felt like, oh, this is a classic movie I need to see. I watched it, I'm like, I don't get the hype. I don't get the hubbub. It's just, like, boobs and butts and underage sex and... That's the hubbub. What the hell? Pregnancy, and it's just, and I feel like it jumps around to so many different people, and the, there's no, like, real follow-through. And I guess that's the point, is like, oh, high school, like, dude. I don't know. It just seemed kind of, like, confused and... I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't vibing with it. That's all. Yep. Well, gang, we did it. We talked about the movies that we've seen recently. And now, Jimmy, it's over to you, buddy. For those of you who haven't seen this decade, uh, two decade, 20 years, wow, uh, long movie. Yeah, I remember when this first came out. Yeah, because I'm uh, 30, uh, so I'm a lot older than this movie is. Uh, but, like, Damn. this movie, for those who haven't seen, Catch Me If You Can, came out in 2002, a very underrated, people claim, Spielberg uh, joint, and uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, other great cast members such as Christopher Walken, and Amy Adams, as well as Tom Hanks, everyone's favorite dad. Um, the film basically does a lot of time jumping, but for the most part, takes place in the mid to late 60s, where we follow uh, Frank Abagnale Jr., uh, who, through a series of events, finds himself a confidence man, or con man, if you will, where he kind of takes upon different positions, titles, essentially statuses to basically forge and get money from fake uh, checks. Uh, he plays a pilot, he later plays a doctor and a lawyer, and through a very Spielbergian, like, uh, theme tapestry, it's essentially, like, him trying to reclaim back the family that he once lost. Because, really, the biggest shocker is the, the main character is goes between the ages of 16 and 18, but he plays someone 10 years older than who he is. So basically, he's just pulling the con on everyone, and for a good chunk of time, he's successful until the FBI, I'm sorry, the uh, Discover, uh, that, like, oh, this guy's doing some illegal activity, let's go track him down. So we follow Tom Hanks, doing what he does best, a guy doing his job, um, trying to track him down, so a very much a cat and mouse uh, kind of scenario. Tom and Jerry. Uh, yep, yep, very much Tom, yeah, Tom and Leo, Tom and Jerry. <laughs> um and uh and yeah i mean like essentially it's a very fun entertaining movie that kind of does a lot of things that spielberg does best which is kind of a throwback to an uh older era uh kind of has his secret wish to be a james bond movie kind of woven a little bit mm -hmm. through it um i mean they mentioned james yeah. bond outright in it um he gets like oh, a yeah, three-piece no. yep. suit in the car just yep. like james bond Yep, 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 yep. And, like, this is a kind of an interesting period in, like, not just DreamWorks, but Spielberg's career, which most people kind of forget about, especially when it kind of came after Saving Private Ryan, alum of the podcom mm -hmm. And, of course, his later efforts that we know him as, which is, like, 
I don't like Lincoln and of course like uh, Tintin or Tonton. Oh, you can't forget um, Ready Player One. Ready, Ready Player uh, One. I I I've already forgotten it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it's definitely a nice little like underrated chapter in his uh, filmography, and it's got a, and it's it's pretty entertaining, I would say. So I was very when asked to be in the podcast, and I was thinking of somewhat christmas adjacent films like this one kind of came to mind because like so many other movies uh it's kind of used more as a metaphor uh yeah. for with the state of the character yeah basically mm-hmm. so not really a christmas film outright but it's where it utilizes the theme of christmas to push the narrative forward yeah all right yeah let's 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 get into this mother yeah jimmy talk at us what you got Tell me. well uh well, essentially, it is based on a true story, and for the listeners, I'm doing my fingers pointing up and down, signaling that it's, in quotes, the, based on a true story. The bunny ears. Uh, yes, the bunny ears, if you will. I'm hopping my hands up and down, and two he's, fingers, he's either hand. Wiggling his nose. Yes. Miles just shot yes. him with a shotgun. Yep. <laughs> Wabbit season. Uh, so basically, this is based on a true story, and the film kind of starts out ba- very much paralleling an actual game show, which is mm. Tell the Truth TV show, where you essentially are presented with three contestants, and the audience has to guess which one is the real person. And so, which is actually what Frank Abagnale Jr. did do uh, in real life. He kind of enjoyed his celebrityhood after he got out of prison, so... But basically is he released a book of the same name, Catch Me If You Can, uh, which DreamWorks uh, bought in the mid-90s. For those who don't know, DreamWorks, pretty big production company, known for masterpieces such as Shrek. Mm -hmm. Never heard of it. But like basically, uh, and a young upstart, up-and-comer, known as Spielberg, heard of him. Once or twice. Uh, Steven Spielberger, uh, originally producer, but then later got uh, put his hat in the ring as director because oh, through a series of yep yeah, through a series of different like uh, names were tossed in. So in order initially, uh, David Fincher was attached to direct this, and, uh, but he dropped it because he was interested in doing Panic Room. Oh, I kind of get Glad it. Glad he did that. I kind I kind of get it. David Fincher, catch me if you can. Especially, like, he was kind of at that point now where basically this film, based on the list of directors that I'm going to list off, are kind of like everyone's sort of like, oh, yeah, we could see them doing that. Put them under contract. Mm-hmm. So, Terry Fincher, Gore Verbinski, another alum of the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, was attached to it. At that point, he had not done Pirates of the Caribbean. No. He was mostly known for doing The Mexican and Mouse Hunt. And then after Gore Verbinski, they gave it to, like, Milos Forman, who's most known for doing, like, uh, uh, one for the Cuckoo's Nest, mm. Amadeus, where oh. he both won Oscars for. Right. Yeah. And it kind of fits because in the 90s till then, he was kind of doing a series of like biopics. So this kind of fit into his like niche. Uh, he already done like People vs. Larry Flint and Man on the Moon, the Andy Kaufman mm. biopic. Right. After Milos Foreman, Cameron Crowe was even attached to direct this, which um, right after his like successful movie, Almost Famous, you can kind of mm. see. If fitting in there, uh, he later would do Vanilla Sky. Uh, that's his own lengthier <laughs> conversation. That movie, mm-hmm. um, and then even Lasse Holstrom, who's most known for Chocolat and What's Eating Gilbert Grape, mm-hmm. another Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. But essentially, this was 
kind of a Leo vehicle. He has named Tastro for a long time, so even Spielberg said that even before he even thought about casting Leonardo DiCaprio, it's almost like, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio casted me as the director, because mm. essentially it was very much a Leo flick, hmm. kind of at his point in his career where he's like, oh man, I really want to drop my baby face, boy face demeanor that people associate me as, no more teen roles like Romeo and Juliet and Titanic, some lesser known films you probably haven't heard of. And through the 2000s, he's trying to reinvent himself. So right. Gangs of New York, The Beach, and of course, Catch Me If You Can, where he's trying to do more, I am an adult. Treat me like an adult. I'm not a big boy. Any, I'm a big boy now. Man. Uh, hey, guys, I deserve, I deserve an Oscar. Please, for the love of God, give me I, one. He's still like a little yep. baby boy, though. Even in this movie, I'm oh, like, yeah. he's just a little baby. There's a point where they're like, oh, like uh, Tom Hanks comes to the realization that he's like much younger than he thought he was, and I'm like, mm-hmm. how? I I look at him and I'm like, he looks like he's 18. He looks yeah. like a at the time a he was lad. 25. He looks yeah. like a baby. Wait, he was 25, he 25 when they filmed this. Yeah, he's my age, and I look wow. like I'm ready to die. Which, it kind of works the role in a way, because essentially there's something weirdly meta where mm-hmm. Leo at the time is trying to be perceived as an adult, while his character is a young man who's trying to be seen as adult, basically to kind of yeah. further their respective careers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, And I think it definitely works for the performance, but there's definitely some ego orchestrating the whole thing, essentially. It's like he's... Especially because this came out the same year as Gangs of New York, where yep. that's very much him being like, "I'm growing my hair out. I got a beard. Yep. I'm a I'm a grown man." Uh, but like, but no, I mean, like this is kind of the one that really pushes Greer forward wait. in terms of adult roles. So he, I will say wor- too, like adult roles. Hold on. <laughs> oh, I will say because he because of the time period that it, this goes through, you have him as a kid in high school, and then you have him. You know, towards the end, or he, he's been caught, he's been captured, his hair is long, mm-hmm. he's all scraggly, and then when he gets a job with the FBI at the end, spoiler alert, um, like, I feel like they do a good job of kind of making mm-hmm. him look younger and making him look older with, like, just a really simple way they, like, have his hair, yes. and the way just, yes. like, phys- like, physically he holds himself. So I definitely want to give them points for that, where I feel like mm-hmm. they address time passing um, with his looks in a very realistic way. Yeah. I felt no, that very too. subtle use. Also, so in the, this was 2002, right? Yep. So in the same year, he worked with Scorsese and Spielberg. Yep. And, and Spielberg also released Minority Report the same year too. Jeez. So they were a double dip in there. 2002. Man. All right. Yeah. Um. But yep. Uh. Essentially, like this. Very was successful. Um, some other names that were kind of attached as cast members were originally before Tom Hanks got involved, clearly because his buddy Stephen was attached. Uh, James Gandolfini was uh, casted as the Frank Hanratty uh, part, which he's still kind of in his Sopranos era, so you can kind of see him doing that. Hey. And then... Where the frick is the Gabagoo? Like the Gabagoo. I gotta find my Gabagoo and I gotta find my Abagnale. The, the Gabagoo is on Pan Am. He's doing an operation on the Pan Am with my Gabagool. Instead of uh, forging checks, he's forging actual Gabagool. It's not real Gabagool. <laughs> it's not real. It's lab-grown Gabagool. Gabagee, yeah, if you yeah. will. It's actually made of tofu. Mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. It's artificial Gabagool. Uh, it's it's g- artificial ghoul. Gabagool. <laughs> uh, so other names are attached. The father, 
would be known as Christopher Wack, and he was oh. originally supposed to be portrayed by a, another young upstart known as Ed Harris, which I could see, but the part of the father, he's kind of his con man in his own regard, so you kind of want someone's mm-hmm. a little more... A little more. There's a twinkle in his eyes. Yes. Like I'm also doing a con for myself. Mm-hmm. Where he actually uses utilizes his son as a chauffeur to get a bank loan. So yeah. basically, uh, Frank Abagnale Jr. Uh, essentially was kind of exposed to the con by his father. Uh, mm. So one could say him doing the con is basically his way of getting his father's approval yeah. and respect in some regard. Or even even his his dad like encouraging him to keep going to kind of like stick it to the man. You know, he's like, they can't catch you. Like, go, like, go. Like, where are you going? Going somewhere cool? Let me know. Like, keep doing it. Well, you know, and throughout the entire time, he's kind of like, the bigger, the more respect he wants, the bigger the cons get, Mm. essentially. They get more ambitious. The more he wants his father's approval, or basically in very Spielberg fashion, uh, (laughs) Spielberg got some daddy issues. I was just going to say that. I was like, ah, Spielberg and his papa, papa issues. Yes. Father and sons, divorce, mm. uh, basically trying to fill not only just the literal father role, but also the spiritual father mm-hmm. role, which you could almost say that Tom Hanks, Frank Hanratty kind of fills that part. Right. Yeah, kind of like I said, like this was kind of an interesting period for both DreamWorks and Spielberg. I mean, especially Spielberg even said that he kind of wanted to do like a lighter, fair movie after some back-to-back heavy hitters right. like Saving Private Ryan and, of course, like Minority Report. So he kind of compared it to his time with Jurassic Park, where it was sort of like mm. a weird form of therapy after doing after, Schindler's List. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And both, both years released two films. So it's sort of, he's a busy guy. Uh, he actually dropped some other role uh, movies he was attached to, like um, Memoirs of a Geisha to direct oh, Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, basically DreamWorks was just pumping out all the good films back then. Hmm. But I guess kind of what are your all thoughts on kind of like this era of Spielberg and like Leonardo DiCaprio in like the early 2000s? Um, I mean, like... Uh, my brother in Christ, I was three years old. So <laughs> not a whole lot. Uh, Weren't you just like plopping into the theater watching those movies all the time? <laughs> um, it's definitely a time I don't think about a lot. But um, bringing it up, I mean, yeah, I like Gangs of New York. Uh, I think this movie's good. Um, I don't know if I'd say it's my favorite era, you know, of Spielberg or even of cinema. Uh, I think it's fun. I think it's interesting because I think this is where you start seeing a turn in, like, Spielberg and, again, Gangs of New York, like Scorsese. I feel like they start sort of changing how they approach movies and how they edit it together and kind of change their styles so i think that's cool i see i see this time as like a transitioning period to something else for them creatively especially with like this is kind of in a way kind of like leonardo DiCaprio, spielberg trying to redefine mm-hmm. his career so to speak like kind of drop the kitty movies yeah. and do more adult stuff mm-hmm. there's even kind of an interesting like parallel some point out years later which some people say that Catch Me If You Can is kind of a spiritual autobiography for yeah. Spielberg because Spielberg, when he was 16, like Frank Abagnale Jr., would basically plop himself in an office at Universal Studios pretending to be an executive just so he can, like, oversee, like, how films are made and kind of get his foot in the door. And people just kind of believed him. They're like, oh, yeah, this very confident kid says he's executive producer. He is. Mm-hmm. And they basically, no one really questioned it until essentially... They didn't go really go in depth in the interview, but Spielberg basically was like, oh, well, who are you? And then that's when he was found out and he had a dip. So kind of like Abigail <laughs> Jr., right when people started inquiring more, that's when he's like, 
Hmm. I'm slowly exceeding into the bushes. Homer Simpson meme, <laughs> basically. Yeah. That's wild, first of all, that he did that. I All you gotta do is have a hard hat and a clipboard. You can get goddamn anywhere. Yeah. Um, Stefan and I were saying this, which we can talk about kind of like the discussion portion of this, but I do not have the confidence to I don't have the stones. Do, I don't I don't got the stones to do that. That he's just like, I'm a pilot. I'm a doctor. Yeah, I'll, I'll oversee an ER. Or like even just Spielberg being like, I'm an exec producer. I would crumble so quickly under any form of pressure. I am not built that way. I could not do that in a million years. Mm-hmm. That is they, so foreign did, to me. Did they not have like name tags? <laughs> no, I think just sort of like a like a studio, kind of like an airport, kind of like a, a hospital. It's just a weird ecosystem. Lots of faces, lots of names. It's easy to kind of look past. Just, you. At the Disney campus, like if you don't have your name tag, you ain't getting in. Yep. <laughs> like you can't pull that shit. They're just be like, nope. No. You, you'd Times be like, oh, I forgot it, and they'd be like, well, go, go get it. Times like, have changed, brother. <laughs> I can't rob a bank. I can't do none of the stuff I used to do back in the eighties. I used to back in the twenties. I would have a family and then just move on to another town and get another family Mm, mm -hmm. no one knew anyways this movie basically says lies and deception are cool no (laughs) yeah i mean like and even the real abignell jr said that like he kind of claims that what made him so successful was the fact that he was young and had that Mm. imaginative confidence where basically i mean i'll admit it's kind of like that air period where you kind of the world's your oyster as long as you're confident, people won't question it. And he basically claimed that his biggest key to success was essentially kind of just once he got that uniform, uh, people just immediately just applied the just the prestige and the respect to the uniform. Kind of like what uh, Abagnale Sr. said in analogy. Mm. Why do the, uh, the was Yankee, the team name? I'm the forget. Yankees. The Yankees always win. And it, they Leo replied back with, oh, this famous pitcher batter Mickey, person. Mickey Mantle. They got Mickey Mantle on their team. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know baseball stuff, but Mariah does. Baseball. Uh, but basically, the base, the ball, the sports, the sports. Sports ball. Um, but the, nope, it's not Mickey Mantle. They're too busy looking at the stripes and the uniforms. Mm-hmm. So really, it's just all about the surface. And essentially, like, he would just say that people just kind of just said, oh, are you with this flight? And he's like, yeah. So you just kind of see an opportunity, take advantage of it. Kind of what Spielberg kind of did mm-hmm. in terms of getting his foot in the door. He just People just applied that, oh, you're young, confident. They looked at just the confidence. They don't even look at the age. I mean, like, like even when I was in my late teens, people thought I was in my later 20s just because, like, people just kind of have assumptions. Like, oh, you have a mustache. You must be older. Oh, you're in this position. You must be someone who's seasoned, who's mm-hmm. like a veteran in your respective industry. Or really, you just seem like you're someone that knows what you're doing. Uh, that was all an act, Abigail Jr. would basically say. Which kind of, especially if you look at kind of his other cons, basically after he, he basically would just call being like, hey, I want to get this uniform. And they would just tell him, oh, you lost your uniform. And uh, when you're getting it clean, no problem. Go to this address, ask this person, they'll give it to you. People just kind of essentially just made it so easy for him essentially to do his crime, which is just baffling to think because nowadays like you said there would be name tags there would yeah. be background yeah. checks there'd be, be internet like, yeah they'd be like all right what's your employee id and you'd have yeah. to be like uh uh who's uh. your supervisor 
Yeah, yeah. I think people were just much more trusting back then too. Yes, I think there's a an an extra level of like doubt <laughs> sewn mm-hmm. into people's like yes. souls, like I in today's <laughs> society. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, we're just I don't know. Even looking at like. Yep. Well, motherfuckers probably pulled shit like this, and now we're like, all right, well... <laughs> it's because of, it's yeah. because of this guy, yeah. Yep. I will tell you, though, well, I would much rather try and be the confident, you know, Impractical Jokers-esque character doing weird stuff than to try and figure out how bank routing numbers work. That is above <laughs> and beyond my head, and I would never be able to nail that down. I mean, basically, like, at the time, like... Pilots were kind of seen as like celebrities of the skies, in quotes, is what I found he said in an interview. Basically, because at the time, like flying was seen as a very fancy schmancy way to travel, like very smooth. You can just walk in like it's a bus and you can get a ticket last minute. There was no like security checks. There was no taking off your shoes, making sure you have no metal on you. It was just so easy just to jump on any plane. And kind of like uh, the men in uniform since it's post-World War II, there's just some respect to the uniform. Right. And after he got that uniform, basically he would just sort of kind of just roll with the fact that everyone thought he was older. He basically upped his age by 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so instead of being 16, he was just 26. And no one questioned it. Stolen valor, yeah. He would just do a lot of deadheading, which I had to look up a lot of slang. Oh, right. He had to do, do at least. So he, he at least put in the time to do research, which is like you almost got to Put him in for not slacking, yeah. essentially. Like, uh, Dead credit where credit just... is due. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or even Abagnale Jr. put in more time to study his respective field than most guys with their rich parents helped in their lifetime. That was me doing a really good Boston accent. Yeah. That was not very good. Pac. Boston? Uh, give me the car. <laughs> give me the car. Yeah. New York's in New York, not Boston, sorry. Here, wait, here's my Boston accent. <laughs> Crow. Who's my Boston accent? I fucking hate you. Fuck you. You, you packed the car in the wrong yard. You park your car in the Harvard yard and then you get out and you. This is, you this stomp is my on Boston accent. Ted is my favorite. I like favorite them movie. apples. Every day. I, nope. <laughs> oh, that, that went into some like British territory. Yeah, that immediately went off. <laughs> okay, right, okay. Yep, we're we're going right. to go check. Continue. Well, babe, babe. Basically, Leonardo DiCaprio kind of does the same accent for every movie, I've realized, mm-hmm. especially like if you see his newer stuff. He just does that very stern voice yes. like this. Like, I'm an adult. Yeah. I'm an adult. I noticed it at some points in this movie. Like, when he's specifically, he's in the house and there's like a party going on. And he gets a drink spilt on him and he goes, Christ! And he yells like that and he does it in such a DiCaprio way where I'm like, there he is. There's older yep. DiCaprio yep. I know where he likes to yell and be loud. And be like, ah, look at me. I'm like, Argh. yep. And he would just do all this research at least and like get all these hours. Like he would basically get free flights constantly by deadheading, which is essentially you're traveling for free on Pan Am's bill, basically. And after that, once the FBI was kind of cornering in on him, he would basically just become a CIA agent and outsmart Frank Handratty. By just literally just giving him his wallet. But yeah, my my uh, my IDs in there. Just basically just the, the confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, he would... Oh, yeah, the confidence and then, like, the distraction. Because it keeps yes. him from not looking in the wallet. The stripes yeah, in the uniform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Constantly reusing a lot of stuff he learned from his dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, to success and lack of success. Like, uh, But then, um, after he kind of realizes that there's a little more like eye on him, he had to drop the pilot uniform, both literally and metaphorically. And that's when he met uh, 
Uh, Amy Adams, very young early role for her, uh, before she kind of became the multi-Oscar-nominated actress that she is, uh, played a nurse, and develops kind of a smittenness toward her. That, uh, that was... Some could say it's... That was Amy Adams? With yep. the braces? Shit. Yep, yep. She's, like, very young, uh, which some could say that, like, oh, he's attracted to her because he's playing old for so long that now he wants to almost date someone closer to his age now, basically, and, like, be with people closer to his age. But mm. nope, instead of just uh, putting on the, hi, I'm Frank Abagnale Jr., you seem really cool, he's like, oh, I'm a doctor. Like, he literally can't stop. He yeah. basically, like, becomes a doctor to essentially, like, get closer to her, impress her, and in the similar fashion, just watches TV shows and movies, just kind of learn lingo. That's what the real Abagnale Jr. did. He did a lot of time just watching TV shows, because he concur? felt like his long... Do, do you concur? Do you concur? My favorite thing about that is that when he walks away, that other doctor is like, I, I messed it up. I should have concurred. Why did I should've concur? <laughs> like, even though he like made an idiot out of himself in that moment, he still found mm. a way to make the other guy feel like that guy was stupid. Mm-hmm. Yep. Incredible. And I think that's really, he just walked away at just the right moment before, like, people started inquiring too much about it. Which, at the time, the real, that actually was some, tra- that actually did work at a hospital briefly. He did work the night shift. Because that's kind of why the character picked that, just to kind of have less of a spotlight on him. Which is kind of basically be under the radar as much as possible. Um, where he worked very close to uh, Brenda Song, Adam's character. Um, they get engaged. and Wait, then her name he is Brenda her- Song? Isn't that the name of a for Sweet Life for Zach and Cody? Yeah. Yeah. Brenda Song was That's London yeah. Tipton. London Tipton. Strong, uh, sorry, strong, not oh. Song. Yeah. Oh. That's so not, pretty close. I got one letter off. Shout out the, to Brenda Song. Yeah. It was the like high school warrior thing that she did where she was like a, Oh, Wendy yes. Wu Homecoming uh, Warrior. Yeah, yes, thank you. Is. Yes. That's a throwback. Wow, that that, my mind palace just throwback. opened up that memory. I can remember the ending fight scene of that movie. Okay, anyway, Brenda Strong. Strong, thank you. Brenda Strong. In a very 0-60 to 60 manner, like she says, Oh, I want to I be with you, I want to marry you, but I had an abortion. My parents uh, kicked me out, you can't see them. And he's like, oh, well, if I marry you and you're going to be married to a doctor, that might change their tune. In a very 0-60 to 60 manner, they're like, Back in their house, like nothing ever happened. They're mm-hmm. like being like, "Oh, so tell us about yourself." And he's like, "Oh, I'm a doctor uh, and a lawyer." Uh, basically, kind of like filling up his resume. And of course, same fashion, does the research, actually passes the the bar, and also watches TV shows. Watched a lot of um, like crime shows just to kind of learn up lingo. Uh, as we see in that uh, that one scene where he does apply the right terminology saying like, gentlemen, jur- gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, of the jury, uh, my client here, et cetera, et cetera. And then the judge just deems over being like, there is no <laughs> defendant. You mm-hmm. have no client. There is no jury. What the hell is wrong with you? So I have, I have a question. Yeah. So did the real Frank Abagnale Jr. Did he really just study and pass the bar? That is one truth. Uh, well, I shouldn't say truth because it's a biopic about a con man. He basically claims that he did study and passed the bar, uh, but really most of it was just working as a law clerk, okay. kind of another under the radar, mm-hmm. more of a glorified errand boy. So he never actually took over major cases under his father-in-law. Gotcha. Okay. Actually, in real life, he only got the job because his neighbor 
at the time in Atlanta was like, oh, you seem really good. How, if you're interested in law, and he's like, well, actually, I am a lawyer. Um, so kind of notional ah. fashion. Someone just saw that you're very good at what you do. You seem very cool to work with. Do you want a job? And he's like, yes, sure. So basically, just opportunity presents itself. He takes advantage of it. But then uh, FBI on its trail again by Tom Hanks' Frank Hanratty. Uh, comes across him at his wedding rehearsal party or some basically thing. So Frank Abagnale Jr. now is on the run. He had to drop his, all of his previous positions and then now uh, has to go in hiding uh, in Miami. And he's like, how do I get out of Miami? Because now they are know that I'm going to leave this airport. They know that I'm here. And so he puts mm-hmm. on the pilot hat again and does this very convoluted complicated like i'm gonna do this like stewardess program to basically like create a posse of people like hide in spends weeks months just like auditioning and like hiring uh these um women who want the job being a stewardess and he sneaks past uh the fbi and then flies off to europe and hopefully never sees them ever again that did happen he did actually create a form of stewardess program Mm. uh but instead of using it as a method to escape, he actually used it as a way to just say, oh, well, I can deposit that check for you to his staff. So you basically make claims for like payroll checks and then deposit them on their behalf just to get some quick cash. So basically he was still stealing money, but he was using the fact that he had employees to basically ask for like checks from Pan Am to like pay them, but he would still keep a lot of that money himself. So that was more the inspiration of the fact to the fiction. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. But he did go to France. He did like, uh, where is it where uh, Tom Hanks' character finds him? And of course, picks him up on Christmas Day, which then kind of leads back to how the film kind of begins. Since the film kind of does a and then, and then, and then kind of uh, yeah. narrative arc with a lot of time jumps between like, him already captured. So we already know as an audience that he's already been captured. So mm-hmm. really, what's the emotional investment? But really, right. you kind of see just the whole, like, you're really intrigued by how well he does his job. There's something to be said about, like, a movie, if the character's really good at their job, that in itself is kind of an interesting thing to mm-hmm. keep you captivated. Uh, you kind of want to see the process unfold, so to speak. Yes. Uh, so through a series of time jumps, but now we're kind of caught up to... Contemporary day in 1969. Henry walk in and he's like, Frank Henry, are you one of the best French beans? They're so good. You should have some. Dude, he's and like very, so like, manic and insane. Yes. Yeah. He's and basically he's like channeling sweaty his future. And he's just like in a tank top and he's like picking up all these like blank checks and being like, Give me the beans. Watch you spill your beans. Watch you spill your beans. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing that line because I think that's how it's said in the lighthouse. But like, yes. uh, but no, basically it's on Christmas Eve. So as usual, like Christmas is kind of a constant uh, metaphor for essentially to describe how lonely the character is, how he longs for family. Yeah, kind of like the manicness in Leonardo DiCaprio's performance kind of mm-hmm. is like, oh, it's him channeling the aviator as Howard Hughes, which we would yes. later do the following year. Uh, you guys see a little glimmer of his manicness. In t- you might have been doing two things at the same time. Who knows? Another pilot. For his performance. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I actually have been to the Spruce Goose that like uh that like uh Howard Hughes made that in the Leonardo DiCaprio movie. We never uh, did. Yeah, I wish I went. I wanted yeah, to go. It was for a while my sister lived in uh Playa Vista, which is was originally the landing field for most of Howard Hughes's like planes. Damn. But then it became just a development for housing. So, but yeah, I think the Spruce Goose is in Oregon uh, at in some Silver like... Silver uh, Falls. Oregon. Okay, yeah. 
And that's a little aviator side tangent. Uh, or Leo connection, if you will. Uh, but yeah, but then Tom Hanks' character picks him up, uh, takes him into custody. Uh, in real life, the uh, Abagnale Jr. did go through a series of different prisons. Basically because he did a lot of like fraud in so many different countries, he was worried that he would have like this back-to-back, like, oh, everyone gets a little piece of jail time from like Abagnale Jr. Uh, he was in France, he was in Sweden. Uh, what really stopped him from just having like this conveyor belt of like short stints in jail time was basically Mm -hmm. the fact that oh like uh, a very kind judge in Sweden said we're going to void his American passport and that way he can get sent back to America Uh, because he would wrote in his book that like oh like uh, the French prison was basically like a medieval cavern where all I had was a blanket and a bucket to shit in um, but then Sweden was the nicest, most luxurious prison he'd ever yeah, stayed that in. that checks out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Swedes, they treat their, their prisoners nice. The Swedes are just nice. And in the movie, we have uh, Frank Hanratty basically, like, take him into custody and makes part of him collaborating with the FBI, doing fraud, fraud research as part of his... Um, a part of his jail time and has him under custody as basically his supervisor, in a way. But then that's when find... He finds out that his father passed away, and now he kind of has lost his motivator, uh, especially when he discovers that his mother married the man she was having an affair with, started a new family, and in very Spielberg fashion, you see Leo just crawl up to the window, snow and Christmas lights <laughs> around him in the frame, mm-hmm. and he's just like, mother, mother, I'm home. Almost in kind of like a very John Williams score, kind of like Home Alone, mm-hmm. where it's just like Macaulay Culkin's character like missing his family, very similar score. And then his step, uh, his half sister walks up and, and he says, All right, can you point to your mother? And she points at his mom. And that's when he realized that his family's basically gone on without him or passed away. So he has really nothing else to push him further. As he kind of said in the last encounter he had with his dad by by Christopher Walken is like, stop me. Because really, this is kind of what's been pushing him to do crime, family. Yeah. For, f- for family. It's always for family. family. I just want to get through this war to get back to my family. I, yeah, I don't know. I was going to go through like five Spielberg movies and decide not to do that, but. <laughs> no, I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, it's basically a family's a thread line because we have, you know, Spielberg did have his mom had an affair with her, his father's friend. He had a big disconnect with his father for many years. So divorce has basically traumatized mm-hmm. uh, and informed his entire career afterward. Yeah. But, no, but then like, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Frank Abagnale Jr., now works for the FBI, basically doing fraud, which in real life, the real Abagnale Jr. did realize after he just couldn't hold a job because of his criminal past, I can use my knowledge uh, for fraud to help others avoid people like me. Mm. And so in the movie, you see him basically kind of in, not quite in a Silence of the Lambs approach where like they're coming up you have knowledge that we don't. Can you help us? Yeah. Basically, he just walks up, looks at a check, and he's like, yeah, this is fake. And they're like, what? They're just, like, dumbfounded by it. This guy can just look at it uh, and just automatically know that it's a fake. Because uh, at the time, there really wasn't much research into determining, like, fraudulent checks. Mm. Uh, the Real Abedinal Jr. actually created a lot of designs uh, for banks that currently use um, most checks. That's what, yeah, that's what it said at the, like, the end text Mm -hmm. and that he received like millions a year for like his work in creating kind of like fraud proof checks and i'm like that is so funny to me 
That's yeah. Oh yeah, no, he's still in some way doing the con, basically. Yeah. Uh, he's just he saw an opportunity, took advantage of it. Basically, yeah. his kind of motto. The whole fucking thing. He was like, "All this just so I can sell some motherfuckers on checks," and it yep. worked. <laughs> Gotta check yourself before you abignail yourself Rick, before you fall down Grand Central stairs and break your neck. Oh God, that. <laughs> okay, wait, hold on. Uh, was that real? Uh, in the father dying. Yeah. No, actually, in real life, uh, uh, Frank Abagnale Jr. said that after he ran away from home, he never saw his parents ever again. Never, he lost communication from them, mainly because he was worried about them getting involved in some way, and he felt like it was kind of saving himself, especially when he had more of a um, the IRS and the FBI like looking at him and watching every movement he made. Uh, so really, the involvement of his mother and father in the film was kind of expanded upon uh, in like the, the writing process, especially giving a lot more dramatic scenes and encounters with uh, Christopher Walken's Abagnale Sr. to kind of parallel the fatherly son theme that both like uh, Spielberg was really into. Uh, he claimed it didn't really have much of an impact on the writing process, but I feel like you <laughs> kind of can see it woven throughout. Yeah. Uh, so... Frank Abagnale Jr., the the real one, not the character. Um, so family wasn't really a motivation for him. It was just kind of the con, but then Spielberg just kind of spun it in a way to make it family-driven. Basically, he, okay. he, he kind of just said that the motivator was just survival because he was like, okay. you know, he wasn't even like legal age when he first started. He wanted to find some way to survive, and really he just saw that ways to get quick cash were just doing these opportunities that kind of presented himself to him and really he even said in an interview that like once he was found out that people were more hurt by the fact that they felt like you weren't this person that i thought you were more than the fact that they stole money from the company that they worked at uh so he claims that he basically didn't really steal money from people he just kind of just took advantage he's basically people just opened the door for him and he just mm. kind of walked in and then realized okay i'll make my place here which, as we all know, there's is a lot of speculation because after the book was released later on, there's been a lot of scrutiny under how much is fact versus fiction. Right. Um, but really, one could say that the movie itself is kind of another con on its own. Basically, uh, what is fact and what is fiction? Right. Um, because there's a lot of speculation on like, well, wait a minute. If he was in prison during the time that he claims that he was a Pan Am pilot... Was that falsified? Was that just added on for the book uh, and later into the movie? But for the most part, the cons that took place in the movie did actually happen. He did portray himself as a pilot. He did was a lawyer. He was a doctor. Um, he did do a stewardess program uh, as part of his like stint as a pilot. Um, he did run off to Europe where he, basically that's kind of what Fell, uh, fell through was like he got picked up by the Canadian Mounties when he was trying to get away to Rio, I believe, uh, somewhere in Brazil. Oh okay. my goodness! Um, yeah. Oh, he. This dude was all over. I mean, like he essentially had a finger in every pot, basically all around the world uh, for his involvement in crimes. Uh, he just wanted to travel. He basically saw his opportunity to get out in the world. He was young, ambitious, and. Kind of, yeah, between 16 and 21, he was just doing all this stuff that really most of us would never do in our lifetime. And that was another big thing that Spielberg said was he was allured in, was just someone doing which no one else would probably be able to accomplish. And 
probably hasn't because now there are these checks and balances in place, which Abagnale was now involved in to make sure that someone like him doesn't do that again. He ruined it for the rest of us. Basically, like I I could have made so much money. I could have had a spiffy suit, but no, Abagnale Jr. just took it and ran and uh, ruined it for the rest of us. I could have pretended to be a doctor and prescribed someone 50 milligrams of ketamine. Ketamine. (laughs) I could have killed a man and he robbed me of that experience. Damn it. I know. Okay, I'm really sorry to harp on this. Going all the way back to falling down the central stairs. Um, so if that didn't happen, they really just made up. He fell down the stairs and died. Yeah, and because I catch a train. If I, I'm not, that like takes me out of the movie. When they says, "Oh, he fell down the stairs and died," I'm like, "Are you shitting me?" He fell down the stairs. Why did they come up with that? Why? Why was it it's just so, like, "Oh, he, you yeah. know, died out, he or passed away, passed away, or had some sort of disease"? Or something. it's he fell. It's so dramatic that it like it pulls me out of the movie because I'm like, he fell down. Not just any step. If it was like, oh, he fell down some stairs, I'd be like, okay. But it was like, I don't know, man. It, I think that was a silly decision. Spielberg it's a little was just, Spielberg had some shit against dads, and he was like, how do I fuck this <laughs> motherfucker up? How do I get him? In much detail as possible. Like, very, it very much plays in your mind, but when I heard it, I was like, wait, are they, by giving so much detail, if, oh, he was trying to catch a train, was like, wait, were they alluding that he was trying to get on a train to meet his son yeah, like it was like, just sort of like, it's so elaborate and specific that's what and that's why because it was so specific i thought maybe it was real because i'm like that does sound so hyper specific that maybe that is what actually happened is he fell down nope. the stairs no it's just i'm like why do you i don't know it was such a it felt like such a strange pick for me i was gonna say i think one of the only things i know about this of like fe- like the film versus reality is that carl hanratty said this guy never called me on Christmas Eve. I never worked on Christmas Eve. That made me seem so lonely. What the fuck? <laughs> I realize I've been saying Frank Hanratty this entire time. I don't know why I, I met Carl Hanratty. Mm. Uh, there's all these Franks in the cast. Frank Singer yeah. Jr. I just everyone's Frank. Uh, like let's Amy Frank. Adams, she's Frank Strong now. Yes, let's be Frank. Everyone, let's be Frank. <laughs> uh, I want to be Frank. You want to be Frank? Okay, you can be Frank. Cool. You're uh, Franken. You're Frank now. I'm and Frank. you're your Friles. Uh, I'm Frank. I'm a I'm firebug Friles? arsonist. F- Frank guy. <laughs> and I'm yeah, I, I know that Carl Hanratty said, like, it was not as cat and mouse as portrayed oh, no. in the film. He's like, yeah, we just were kind of following this guy and eventually we got him. Yeah, and Carl Hanratty's kind of an amalgamation of a few different characters, but primarily mm. it's Joseph Shea. If they met that many times, that's that I'm not sure on, but like the yeah, it's essentially is not as like overly dramatic shocker uh as what the movie portrayed it as. Wait, so well, hold on, was Carl Henry a real human being? That name was made up. So at the end when they're doing the text and it says Carl Henry and Frank Abagnale Jr. are still friends, that's just just a goof. Yeah. Just, they just made that up? They made that name up, which I was very confused by when they put that in the credits. I'm like, why? Yeah, that's odd. It, yeah, they might as well just say Joseph Shea and him. Yeah. Or the actual FBI agent. Like, not necessarily. Yeah, they pulled a Fargo where they were like, oh, no, we'll That's check, what I was just going to say. I was like, is it just a Fargo where they're like, ah, oh, we'll just, we'll make it up and, the, you know, they'll buy it. That's funny. Yeah. That's weird. Are there any other kind of, like, big differences between reality and the film? Uh, really, like. Kind of, it, there was a little bit of interesting facts that happened where 
the movie claimed that, oh, he would pick things up from his father, which then gave him the knowledge to do the con. But really, he was kind of doing cons on his own. Like, he actually did a lot of uh, credit card fraud uh, through, like, selling car parts back. Uh, and he found out because his dad, like, noticed the bill, like, what the fuck? Why is there $3,000 on my bill, credit card bill? Because uh, he would just use a credit card to buy parts and sell it back, uh, giving a cut to the uh, auto parts sailor, basically, and he would keep the money. Why would you think that your dad wouldn't get the bill? That, that seems kind of like a very young, naive yeah. like, first attempt. But he was always kind of doing dabbling. Um, but just like in any situation, he just literally would say that, I just saw opportunities and took advantage of them because I figured, why not? He's young, confident. He couldn't quite envision, like, the consequences, especially because he didn't really know what would happen. So, which kind of prompted him to just kind of feel like, sure, I'll give it a try. Um, there was some other things that happened where he actually was a college professor, briefly. I believe for sociology or biology. Oh, man. Uh, that was kind of, yep. That was another little, like, brief. So, him pretending to be a teacher is loosely true that's in the movie in the movie he's a spanish teacher for high school yeah that's what i was gonna ask really to this day there's been a little more scrutiny over really what is true what isn't uh but really at this rate like is anyone surprised uh especially because like essentially everything he's done has been a con so really would not be surprised if the book on its own is a con he claims he was not involved in Mm -hmm. writing the book or writing, writing the screenplay, or even the musical that was later adapted after the movie came out in 2011. There's a... Wait. There's a musical huh. version of Catch Me If You Can? Yep. It, like, got nominated for quite a bunch of Tonys. Really? Uh, it only won... Tony, Tony, uh, for... Tony, Tony. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> we got a sneak of producer's quote and everything. Yes. Um, it's more close to the movie, to be specific. So it's more of a based off the movie than based off got the it. book. Frank Abagnale Jr. basically claims that he was not involved in anything. Some of his later interviews, you literally have like um, uh, interviewers holding up documents uh, specifying when he was in prison and the dates c- contradicting stuff he, mm. that he claimed was in the book. But I'm like, why is your name on the book if you weren't involved in writing it? So there's speculation everywhere. So really, I don't really want to believe that this movie is really based on a true story. It's based on a true con, really, is what the subtitle should say. Okay. Huh. Yeah. I didn't have time to listen to the soundtrack of Catch Me If You Can before this. It was playing at a local community theater in Talent uh, near where I what live. The, but what like, the hell? Uh, wow. That's hyper-specific yeah, performance. Yeah. It was like, a, yeah, it was, and now I'm kicking myself for not having seen it because it was like, a, came out like the other year. And I was like, oh, shoot, I could have seen that. If I could foretell the future where I knew that I would be doing a podcast about Catch Me If You Can. <laughs> I was going to say, I think my, my favorite like musical moment of this is when the score is actually not that crazy. I like when um, Tom Hanks is confronting DiCaprio in front of the like check presses. And it's just kind of like a bass line. I don't know what instrument it is. I can't remember now. It's like a cello or a bass or something. It's just kind of like rhythmically thumping as dicaprio's going nuts and like trying to talk his way out of it and like squirming and just being a, a spazoid and then the music is just kind of like boom 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 and i think it's very good what are your all thoughts on the kind of john williams score the score <laughs> i miles, don't think about it <laughs> miles is you know when when like uh composers talk about making a score 
and the best mm-hmm. score is the one that an audience doesn't notice. Yeah, that's uh, me. Miles, Miles is that subject. Yeah. It, it works on him subconsciously. It never is at the forefront of his mind. It's it's doing its magic in the back of his brain. It really is. It really is. <laughs> I think I am every... Uh, what the fuck is the sound guy again? John Williams. Walter Murch? Yeah, I'm Walter Murch's fucking dream audience where it's just like you hit it subconsciously i go yay movie and then everyone moves along yeah that is definitely the vibe uh, especially in the beginning whereas you almost kind of forget it's john williams because he's kind of one noted in some areas of his scoring where it all kind of sounds like this is a john williams score but i would almost say like the beginning is probably the strongest uh part of the score, especially when it's tied into that very Saul Bass, James Earl Jones, like, uh, animation sequence, mm-hmm. which definitely was like, I would say when I'm, I'm a sucker for Saul Bass intros, uh, for those who don't know, it's, um, he would do the intros to most sixties movies, mm-hmm. like, uh, psycho being the most famous intro sequence that he animated. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of wanted to go for sort of a, uh, similar score that we saw in like James Bond movies with Spielberg w- went later into. And, uh, which kind of adds on to the secretly Spielberg wants to do a James Bond movie, but the estate wouldn't let him direct an American directed Bond movie. Mm, uh, right. And you can see that a little bit in minority, minority Report as uh-huh. well, uh, just the action scenes, because uh, also kind of works. And I think both Leo and Tom Cruise, when they were young, secretly wanted to be a spy James Bond role, which, of course, no Americans allowed to do directed or star in a James Bond movie to the state's specifications. And yet Tom but, Hiddleston can play... Hank Williams. That's not... That's offensive. I have a problem with that. I think... Uh, yeah. I, as it an American... Kind of funny thing, like, more, I have a problem with that. The British love doing Southern accents. They love it. I've noticed. Yeah. They even say it's because American accents are so hard. Like, I think even uh, Albert Finney said this, where most of his American accents are always Southern, because he said that it's easier to do that with your native accent already mm. for most people of that area of Europe mm-hmm. than it is to just do a normal like Californian accent yeah. where you almost they always do something like this to yeah. add some sort of twang to it. Yeah. It's weird. But I love the score. It might be it's it's definitely pretty cartoonish. It, which mm. I could see it being made to work around that intro in the beginning probably, but yeah, there there are some moments where it does almost feel like an anime movie with how much cartoonish color and zany energy yeah it's kind of like throughout it um which it was actually nominated for an oscar it only got two nominations uh one for score and one for supporting actor for christopher walken didn't get leo his best actor nom even though he's been wanting that for so long to kind of uh, drop that took him a good old another decade till he finally got it all he had to do is eat a eat a a moose liver or an elk heart yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. DiCaprio, uh, this is a conversation for another time. His his acting, I don't know. I feel very funny about it. I think he's one of those actors where at this point I've seen him too much to be able to like really believe anything he does because I'm just like, oh, it's DiCaprio. Kind of like Tom Cruise in a way where it's yeah. almost, he just has got a, a movie star presence, mm-hmm. but really he kind of does the same voice and everything. He, yeah. he. Tom Hanks is like that for me as well. Like in Elvis, I know, I know objectively people kind of goofed on him for Elvis, but so funny to be like, oh, look at him doing a a Danish accent or whatever. 
and he's fat, he's always having a fun time with it, walking mm-hmm. around in like a hospital gown. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of when he did the Lady Killers, where I think secretly Tom Hanks wants to do those very over the top roles, but yeah. now he's kind of. I think that's kind of saved his career is the fact that he discovered I can be a dad or I could play a person that does his job very well and I will succeed in the job that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which kind of, this is sort of the first incarnation of that because he kind of was at that middle age years where he's like, I, I gotta find a new pivot career. Yeah. So really everyone in the cast and crew is trying to do like a pivot in their careers for the most part. And then you have a man called Otto. Oh God, a man called Otto. <laughs> Uh, what are your thoughts, though, on the performances in the movie? Like, do it, do they work for you? Oh. Do you they kind of anything any specific one stand out oh. amongst them all? And Walken, would you hundred percent walking, walking, my boy walking? He Love does so good. Walken. That that scene when they go to dinner and he's talking about like, oh, this fork is cold, and Leo has to be like, it's a chilled salad fork, and then Fork's he's cold. like, look, I got you a car, and he's like, I can't drive this. The IRS is going to fucking get my ass. And yeah. when he like starts crying very subtly, like his yeah, eyes are the, like the, super like, watery and the just the, the way that he, de- the delivery of some of the lines just are perfect. Um, so I think no, he I, absolutely knocks it out of the park. hundred percent. hundred percent. Especially because like he has just that very unique face. It doesn't need to, he doesn't need to convey much. Like he can just convey an emotion with just like that subtle watery eye i he doesn't get that many scenes but when he's on there he like steals every minute like that's why i'm glad they kind of expanded the father part because i feel like that was something that really isn't an apparent thing in the real life story but i can't really imagine any other actor doing it besides walking honestly yeah no he he was wonderful and the more i see walking the more i realize i just like christopher walken's acting yo christopher walken's good he's good it's just yep. i think part I've been of it on too, this train just for like years i'm i'm glad you could hop on i mean i've been on just it walked like, on. it's 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 the, the train is gaining momentum yeah if and we I'm go below like, 50 miles per hour we all fucking die we blow yeah. up he's great he has Something... a way of like delivering his lines yeah, I, like specifically, obviously, in Seven Psychopaths mm-hmm. by Martin McDonough. <laughs> and he's like, uh, the guy has a gun pulled on him. And he goes, like, raise your hands. And he goes, no, no, I don't well, want to. He's like, what? But, but I have a gun. So. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. OK, I, I'm not doing it justice. Look up the clip. Look it's up good. the clip. No, just watch Christopher Seven Psychopaths. Seven Psychopaths. Yeah, he just like his delivery delivers things in a way that. It's not, like, horribly abnormal, but it's, like, just different enough to be yeah great. Even that little, uh, the two mouse analogy, where mm-hmm. two little mice fall into a bucket of cream. One drowns and the other, he doesn't want to die, so he just struggles and struggles and turns that cream into <laughs> butter and he climbs right out. Uh, I, I can change that, Mariah, to oat milk, since I know you can't yeah. do dairy. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to be a little thoughtful. So, two mice fall into a glass of oat milk, and wait, they can't turn it into butter. I guess they both drowned? <laughs> Anywho, that's the moral of the story. Don't uh, put mice in the oat milk. I, no, I actually they... want to I want to jump on this real quick and mm. um, oh. say I love the that analogy that they bring up a few times throughout the movie and there's that one point where he's meeting amy adams family like martin sheen's like he says will you um lead us in prayer and 
Leo goes, uh, yeah, I can lead a prayer for dinner. And then he does the, the two mice in a bucket of cream s- story. The dude's never heard a prayer before? <laughs> um, and one thing I love about it is that it's like, it is kind of like his prayer. That is kind of his religion. That's what, mm. like, mm. spurs him on. That is what is guiding him in life. So not only is it a good callback, but it's super reflective of exactly who he is and mm-hmm. what he holds dear and his ideals. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it was just perfectly put. No, really, like every scene that he did with his father, like you kind of see him call back to that, like especially with the, him paraphrasing the red, the stripes uniform stories and he gets it wrong uh, versus like saying in the order that his dad said it or he it's almost like he's trying to like like you said like weave that through his every action and the moments when he paraphrases it or doesn't follow it specifically to his father's uh telling it's almost tells to his current state like the fact that tom hanks's character basically is like oh yeah yeah i think it's a Mickey mantle and he's like no it's because the uniform he's like no one looks the uniform it's just basically like he's undoing uh the whole like motivator for him yeah, and he just hangs up. I, dip, shut up! Just hangs up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Overall, how does Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, the O's, Mister O, uh, work for you in this movie? Um, he works. He does the uh, he does the thing. He does it. He's Leonardo DiCaprio. Like I said, like I just I know him too well. He's Leo. He's young Leo doing young Leo stuff. He cries. He shouts. Yeah. I'm um, used to watching him die in his younger films yeah he kind of does the same thing in this in later films like especially like wolf of wall street Mm -hmm. he kind of plays a a very similar kind of like young confident person does the exact same voice Mm -hmm. yeah i i was relating this to something like wolf of wall street where it's like it's very much just like a guy is doing things that he shouldn't be doing and then eventually he pays the consequences for it and we can Mm -hmm. talk about this later i i feel like he should have at least on screen have been shown to suffer the consequences a bit more than he does. But m- maybe most of it's off screen. Uh, yeah, I think Leo's good. I think it's uh, one thing that I wanted to say and then I forgot when you were talking about how he wanted to kind of use this as a bridge from teen heartthrob status of Titanic and Romeo and Juliet and start being like, guys, I'm an adult. I can be an adult in movies. The two movies he dies um, in. Spoiler. I will say, so one of my little sisters who listens to this podcast loves mm. young leo loves young leo and she loves this movie um so i think that kind of speaks to maybe this isn't as pivotal as he thought it might be <laughs> if hmm. my little hmm. sister thinks he's really cute in this and doesn't view him as like uh, an adult yeah, necessarily man. Yeah, um, she still kind of views him as a heartthrob. Of course, that is a sample size of one, so I can't <laughs> apply that to everybody. Yeah, but I do think with how young he looks, it works for the age that the character is supposed to be. I think it works for him portraying himself as older. Like you said, he was 25, so I think it works. As for his performance, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of hard to not see Leo, but I I do think it's a good role for him, and I think he did a good job with it. I definitely don't think it was like Oscar nom worthy. No, um, which, I would agree. I mean, obviously, he didn't get one, but yeah, I think he, I think he was a good choice for this. I know you said it was kind of like a Leo picture for a while. Were there yeah, any he other been names attached for a while? No other name was really connected to it. It was essentially like Leo saw this as a potentially good role for him, and he 
kind of just marked his territory. Yeah. Like, no one else really was... At... I could see maybe some other actors doing it well. Like, maybe Tobe Maguire at that time could have done that part decently, mm-hmm. since he has that kind of young face. Yeah. Maybe... I don't see, like, Elijah Wood or some other kind of famous early 20s actor. <laughs> like, you almost need someone with a little more of a slyness. I don't know. I, can't, I think uh, I, Elijah Wood would be kind of good in it. I think I would definitely ooh. watch Frodo Baggins try to be a pilot and a doctor. But he's wearing his feet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big hairy feet in the <laughs> operating room. I'm sure I could come up with other people that I think would do a good job, but it really does seem like a good Leo movie, so... Mm-hmm. It's very much written around him. Like a lot of the scenes seem almost written to give him like, like one of my least favorite scenes because it's just a throwaway. Doesn't really need to be in there. Is when he meets uh, Jennifer Garner's uh, prostitute character, and that feels like it was written for him just to be like, I'm an adult. I have sex. I can swoon people. Like yeah. And really, that character never comes back again. Mm. Like, it just sort of reminds you that, oh, he's good at his job. But really, we had so many other scenes that kind of conveyed that he's good at the con. Mm -hmm. And it felt like more, yeah. I think it um, shows that he kind of fetishizes money. Um, Mm. However, I don't think that that is a theme that comes back a lot. If the whole premise like we've talked about is that family is kind of what's driving this because he thinks mm-hmm. if he makes enough money it'll fix everything so i yes. don't really see how sex plays a part in that yeah i mean i cause... think that's like a natural part of like a young man's life and whatever huh. but uh yeah the fact that it never really comes up again and even when he goes to marry amy adams that i will say that's like the one time i feel like he's kind of selfless like, the only time, because he's trying to do something to make her life better, which is, like, the only selfless thing that he really does in the entire film. Yep. Um, and that's not fetishizing it at all. So I don't really see the connection for the Jennifer Garner scene as well. But Yeah, yeah I I guess my it was it felt more of, like, there's so many scenes that are written to really showcase Leo. Like, it's yeah. almost like he was involved in the writing process, but the writer knew, like, I gotta give some Leo scenes in there. Yeah. Which then you gotta add more Tom Hanks just doing laundry, uh, which doesn't... It's funny, but it's like, they almost gotta have an odd balance. I wanted to just have a discussion on the fact that Abigail Jr. wants to be caught. Yes. He tells Hanratty where he is. He says, come and get me right now. He gives him the hotel room number. When Mr. Strong, played by Martin Sheen, is like, I know you're lying. Or like, you know, he says, tell me the truth. And he goes, I'm not a pilot. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a kid who's in love with your daughter. As sentimental as that is, he's telling the truth. And Mm. then he also asks his dad, like, tell me to stop. So I just think that's very interesting. And I wonder if you guys have any thoughts surrounding that. It makes his motivations a little more complex than just straight greed. Um, or power it's basically trying to fill the void that he he misses his kind of that Mm -hmm. nuclear family that we kind of see in like just that 60s era of uh, america he wants his mommy he wants his daddy i want Uh, my mommy yes um so basically him calling out to hand is basically like i need someone to like fill that that what i'm missing basically i kind of i always took it as like you know, he's getting into all these situations, and he's like, man, if no one stops me, some serious shit is going to happen. You know, it's like how, like, some serial killers will be like, 
hey, please, for the love of God, stop me, but I'm not going to help you stop me. Yeah. 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 Same reasons everyone discussed. I think it makes his motivations really interesting. We have that moment with uh, Jennifer Garner in The Money, where I I think they're trying to sort of convey that, like, oh, he's trying to fill the hole with money. Mm-hmm. But I, I I don't know. I feel like they don't really go in all, all in on that um, theme. And we just sort of get that moment. But it definitely, for the most part, it's, yeah, he's kind of like a kid doing this for attention and for affection that uh, he can't get. If we're talking about things we like or dislike, I mentioned before, I kind of wish he got more consequences for his decisions. Uh, he does. I, I think the reason he gets a pass is because a lot of the people he's burning is just like organizations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's just like a bank and like a blah 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 and things where it's like yeah okay i don't care if the bank gets burned what a pan am a giant conglomerate like whatever okay but i mean he impersonates a doctor yeah at one point, that part and i, I was know like, nothing don't do that nothing comes of it because the other two guys know what they're doing but i'm like yeah you you could you're messing with people yeah, alive you could kill at that someone. point Oh, so yeah. that's not cool luckily he picked a position where he doesn't need to be in a position to make mm-hmm. those hard make decisions but he kind of just passed the potato to someone else. Yeah. But yeah, I was expecting a lot worse to come. Like he's in the operating room. He's like, okay, what am I removing? And they're like, this is a normal checkup, sir. And he's like, oh. Yeah. yeah so- and it seems like <sighs> yeah. I mean, he goes into it like, what am I removing? Like he would have fucking done it. Mm-hmm. Like that's where I'm like, he's like, yes, yeah, someone needs to stop me. Because if I had just kept going, I could have killed someone. Or he could have just gotten like frankly longer prison stint basically he had some even though it's kind of muddled like he definitely has some sense of like okay i need to have some buffers on my actions and like the way i go about these performances yeah well and also jumping on the whole doctor thing about him not having to perform surgeries necessarily when he's a pilot he doesn't ever pilot a plane he's always in the jump seat as the deadhead Mm-hmm. Just so he can fly, he doesn't actually ever have to fly. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have to pull like a Sully Sullenberg, where it's like he has to literally <laughs> land the plane in an emergency situation. Like, it, luckily, no one ever says, "Oh, our pilot has a heart attack." You take the reels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and like you pointed out, um, with the real Abignale Junior being just like a law clerk and never really having to try cases again he's attaining some status without like all the responsibility mm. which is smart on his part but also very good for society that yes. we did mm. not have yeah. like nobody depended on him for like their livelihood yeah. or like their life <laughs> so mm-hmm. but but that's what i mean it, the consequence i mean the consequence was more like emotional like people had more emotional yeah. investment in him mm-hmm. yeah and even because I, I almost wanted that moment where something happens or it's demanded of him to, to know more, or to do better. And he realizes, like, I'm... And I guess we get that with the doctor thing, I suppose. Yeah, and really... But, but even when he's arrested and he's in jail before they pick him to work for the FBI, he's so cool. Like, he, he acts like it's not that big of a deal. You know, he's got his cards and he hangs out in jail and he's like, oh, I'm cool. It's like he doesn't, I don't know, hasn't come to terms. And I guess that's not the core of the story, isn't, like how bad of a guy he was or how the things he did was bad. It was all about this like family and they did it for family and for attention and that he is just a kid, but at the same time did horrible things. And I guess maybe I wanted, I, you get some of it with the French prison as well, where it's like, Oh, it's like poor and Oh, I'm like sick. But 
I think because it's just through that Spielberg lens, it feels more like an adventure than like actual a fairy tale yeah. in a way too. Yeah, like, so it's yeah. like he's not like actually. He's just kind of like, oh, but I'm still gonna like break out. So I don't know. I feel like he never really feels the consequences of his actions besides yeah. like being absent <laughs> from his family. Besides having to work a nine to five job. For <laughs> oh God, that that is its own. As yeah. someone that works nine to five, that's its own prison sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, really, the other consequence that he does get in the movie never really happened to him in real life like he never lost a fiance he never was betrayed by said fiance which i was expecting him to lie uh about his love for her so but you could tell he was genuinely felt betrayed when she kind of worked with the fbi to basically Mm -hmm. like show up at miami thinking that oh we're gonna go off together have a happy fairy tale ending kind of like He's like Peter Pan, who basically wants to be in Neverland, but he keeps getting pulled back out because he misses his parents that he kind of, like, sacrificed to have this sense of status and respect. Mm. Yeah. I would say the only thing that didn't work for me on this might have been what I mentioned earlier. It, it feels like it went on longer than it needed to be. Too many beginnings, too many endings. Overall, I, I like the score. I like the... I'm a sucker for a 60s Saul Bass intro, so that, that definitely tickled that scratch that I have. Or scratch that itch that I have that said the, this expression wrong. Um, but, like, uh, really the parts that didn't work for me were the ones that just felt more, like, written for Leo as an actor than really they aided the situation. Like I said, this could have been mm. hour 45, hour 50 tops. Yeah. did not need to be two hours, 20 minutes. Because, like, yeah. it got to the point where, like, there were so many ways they could have ended it. Like, they could have ended it at when he gets released from prison. They could have ended it right when Tom Hanks meets him at the airport being like, I'll wait for you. You're going to come back. Uh, but yeah. they just kept pushing it, pushing it, pushing mm-hmm. it. Uh, but overall, I was pretty satisfied with it. The other thing I kind of wanted to ask you all is, do you count this as a Christmas movie? I don't think I <sighs> count no, this as a Christmas movie. I don't think movie. so. That being no. said, I could watch this during Christmas time and feel yeah fine about it Mm. i think it's got christmasy themes but i think if you were to ask me to like give you a list of christmas movies yeah this this definitely not appear on the list Mm -mm. no i think the issue with this discussion as well as like movies like die hard is there's two meanings for the word christmas movie there's a movie that had like is about christmas that kind of a christmas movie and then a christmas movie in terms of like something someone watches around christmas Mm. and i think this is like a fun christmas movie in terms of like something you watch around christmas because it's different than the other christmas movies it's not just a hallmark movie and blah 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 but like you could watch it and like kind of get into the spirit and be like oh christmas is like a center of this narrative but i would not say it is a christmas movie in the sense that it's about christmas no it doesn't depend on the fact that there's christmas it's just used to kind of progress a dynamic which in this case like the emotional meaning behind him calling Hanratty every Christmas Eve. Uh, mm. And just the fact that, oh, a character looks more depressed if it's Christmas time and they're sad. Kind of like most, uh, I like the nice guys, Lethal Weapon, even Die Hard. Like, mm. I'm definitely a little more liberal when it comes to what's in the Christmas canon because I'm, I'm so sick to death of rewatching the mm. same movies every Christmas. Same. So, so that's kind of why I picked this. Where it seemed like okay, yeah. it utilizes Christmas, but it's not a Christmas movie, but it's an element in it. So it's Christmas adjacent is a classification yeah. that I kind of like would place it probably. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. Definitely not a Hanukkah movie. No, no there's no yarmulkes once. 
No um, dreidels. Not a single latka. He could have been a rabbi for an extended se- uh, sequence of like him just be- uh, yeah. like holding. That would have been morally bankrupt if he had yeah. done that. Started impersonating like religious figures. <sighs> like someone said, you need you to circumcise this child. He's like, oh boy. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we go ahead and rate this? Yes. Yeah, I'm ready to rate it. All right, Stefan, you ready? What are you rating it? I'm ready. I'm rating it 7.2 uh, monikers out of 10. I think uh, it's very well made. It's a Spielberg movie. To that sense, it's almost like, I don't know. Sometimes I watch a Spielberg movie and I'm like, they're, they're trying so hard to be good and it is good. But it like kind of pisses me off that it's good. I'm like, give me, I want more like scratches in the in the you know in the cd i want so uh i think it's good to that extent it's almost hard to like talk more about it because i'm like it's well made the music's good performances are good i mean leo is not all there but like christopher walken nails it love what he does good movie watch it suspense you know it's one of those movies where you can watch it and be invested Stefan, take it down mile yeah i'll hit him up uh i'm gonna give this movie a Let's give it a 6.5. I I enjoyed all the because like I liked all the parts where you know it's Leo getting one over on people and I'm like ooh get him get him yeah get him do it uh, and then I like all the parts where it's uh, Tom Hanks grilling Leo and you're like yeah get him fucking do it do it get him mm. all those parts I really liked. All the other stuff about family and whatnot, I was like, okay, it's cool, but I kind of <laughs> want him to just do the bit more, <laughs> like just be a little gremlin man sneaking into places. That's what I was there for. Uh, yeah, and then yeah, it was, it it was long. <laughs> it was a bit longer than I wanted it to be. Um, but overall, I liked it. It's right. Miles's take done. All right, uh, me next. Jimmy, we'll save you for last. Yay. Um, oh, wait. I never gave it. I never gave my rating a, a thing. 6.5 oh, yeah. snapped necks at the ends of staircases. Multiple walk-ins Ow. snapping their necks. Yeah. Oh, man. I Ow. am going Ow. to give. <laughs> Ouch. I am going to give this. <laughs> I'm going to give this a 7.5 plastic planes and bathtubs out of 10. I don't think this is a movie that I seek out. Every time I watch it, I enjoy it. I love Tom Hanks. Uh, so the fact that he's in this, bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, Christopher Walken, yeah, I think his performance really like stands out in this. I think he's really good. I love a good kind of heist movie, con movie, that kind of thing. So the dynamic immediately, I'm like into it. And yeah, I think it does a good job of making this... <laughs> federal criminal yeah you're kind of rooting for him because yeah he's not like necessarily hurting people he's hurting the man the banks like which we don't care about so that's fine and yeah every time i watch this i I have a good time and i i think it's fun i think i picked up more on some of like the themes and like director choices this time around um so i feel like i appreciated it more than i have in the past but yeah I, i enjoyed it so Jimmy, what about you? Uh, actually, the exact same rating as you, 7.5. Uh, my unit of measurement, though, is 7.5 nicely combed, awkward teen haircuts on Leonardo DiCaprio's. Uh, uh, overall, yep, yeah, same as I said, it's a little overwritten, 
doesn't need to be that long. I did notice a lot more of the cheesier bits that I didn't the first time. Like, for instance, when Leonardo DiCaprio's character is, like, right after he meets both his real biological father and his spiritual father, you see him peeling off the bottle of dad's root beer. And I'm like, oh, yeah. God, that's so yeah. heavy-handed. Or the bill mm-hmm. floating under the door to, like, hint, Tom Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio's in here. Those yeah. types of things were yeah. a little Spielbergian for my days. I did roll my eyes a little bit, but I, I was still <laughs> delighted and charmed. Especially because, like, they don't really quite make a movie like this anymore, it feels like. We're kind of like we all said. It's just sort of like just an exciting kind of like the Sting, Sundance, and Butch Cassidy. You got your know, Ocean's Elevens. Um, like, just that, that fun. You're watching people who are good at their respective job. In this case, it's crime. And crime definitely pays in how entertaining this movie is. But yes, I agree. It is does not need to be two and a half hours long. A lot of the scenes could easily be cut out. Is it underage Spielberg? I think so, especially when you, like, it's kind of buried amongst his bigger stuff. But I definitely think it's a nice little, like, chapter in his filmography. Yeah, I agree. Well, boys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, those in between, that concludes today's episode. For our next episode... It's going to be our year in review. Yay! Uh, oh, right on. We're not, nobody is taking the lead in the next episode. We are going to be recapping the movies that we watched over the year, talk about some that we haven't mentioned on this podcast, talk about some of the movies that we covered on this podcast. Um, and if you listen to last year's, we come up with some kind of standard categories, such as our favorite film that we watched, period, uh, from the year, our favorite film that came out in this year, uh, cinematography, acting, that kind of stuff. But we also do some fun categories. A little teaser for you is our favorite floater, mm-hmm. the person who mm-hmm. floated the best on screen. So, you know, we just come up with some goofy goofy little things like that. So keep an ear out, I guess, in a couple weeks for our year interview episode. But in the meantime, you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, kind of. And mostly just Instagram at this point at the takes it took. And if you have uh, an email that you want to send us with any corrections, comments, suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at the takes it took at gmail.com. But Jimmy, thank you once again for coming in today. This has been for an absolute me. blast. No, I was yeah. really excited when you invited me on. I had a really fun time rewatching mm-hmm. this movie. Look forward to uh, I was actually listening to one of your all's last episodes before this, just to kind of refresh on order and structure so i'm looking was forward it the, to hearing the was next it the ones. star wars one yeah oh sorry about that one <laughs> <laughs> all right well folks until our next episode stay safe have fun watch movies and don't forge checks that yeah. is bad check yourself before you fraud Fall checks down the stairs. i'm gonna say commit federal crime as long as you don't hurt any human beings in just companies do what you want um, Miles speaks for himself and not this podcast. An official okay. endorsement. All right, bye. Bye. That's not going to get us a sponsor. Bye. <laughs>